Good morning, ladies and gents. Mark Mosley, 50 year old, gay man. Sick of saying that because it's not going to change anything the more I say it, but still. Um, Sunday, sitting in my house, just got back from being away last night and yesterday, and it was nice to get away to have some thinking time, to have some me time. It's also nice just to see different things for a change instead of the four walls of my house here on the farm. I looked at some of the points, replies, questions that were sent in regard to my videos slash, <coughs> excuse me, podcasts. And there's a lot of positive stuff in there. So thank you for that. It's reassuring to see, read and hear. It's also asked questions as well on why do I do these videos? I do them for a few reasons. I do it mainly for me. I do it to record the journey, the past into the present to address situations that have happened. Is it for the greater good? I think so. Um, I do feel a lot better in myself as the weeks go by where I do look at these. I don't look at them every day. I do look at them and I do think but also helps put them to bed. But some questions have came out on why I attempted suicide back in February. Of all the events in my life, February the 12th is probably the most blazant on my memory for a few different reasons. Why did I try? Why didn't I succeed? what help I got before or what help I got afterwards. That's quite easy to answer. I didn't get any help beforehand because I didn't address or I didn't want any help because I thought I could do it by myself. I thought I was strong enough to go it alone, if you like. Now, the build-up until February um, was quite significant. I knew for a good six months 50 years, if you like, that I wasn't right. But it's only in the last six, seven, eight months to the build-up that I knew something wasn't right. But as I mentioned, I carried it every day. I was fully functioning in my job. I would go to work, come back. I would sit and think, overthink, stew, maybe, think of the negative. Very rarely think of the positive because I couldn't really see any positives back then. So the build-up to it was, looking at it now, red flags everywhere. Christmas, New Year, my birthday, these red flags waving like you have no idea, and I didn't see them. Friends did, other people did, my doctor did, but I didn't see them. I thought I could just go it alone because that's what I've always done, just gone it alone. February the 12th, it's scary. It's frightening to even consider what if. Now I've spent most of my life asking myself, what if? What if I hadn't have succeeded and I'd gotten myself into a worse position than I am now? Or I was back then, sorry. What if I had succeeded? Who do I leave behind? How do they carry that burden? How do they function? It's not something that I can really contemplate because I really don't know. I've never been in this position before. What I can say 
and I will be quite brutally honest as I always have been in these videos, it scared me to a point where I needed to get help from the bigger picture. I didn't care what happened to me. I wasn't bothered about being sectioned. I'm not mentally ill, as I mentioned, but I did think I was, and that was one of the biggest concerns. I thought that when you're mentally ill, you get locked away, you sit and rock in the chair, you're high on medication, higher than NASA, if you like. That wasn't what it was about. That wasn't my concern. I was very selfish that night. Um, I didn't think of anybody but myself. But at the same time, I was also very selfless because I didn't want to think about myself. I wanted to think about all the other people, all the good stuff. I wanted people to pull me out, but people couldn't pull me out if they didn't know. And that's the hurdle that I couldn't get over. So when I contemplated and I attempted suicide that night, the whole world didn't really exist. I was just speeding in my brain at a million miles an hour. Infinity, if you like, expecting it to be a car crash of everything, but also not thinking properly, not thinking straight, not actually realizing that what I was about to do would have the biggest ramifications on myself, friends, family. And that's something that I couldn't imagine because I never had to imagine. It's only that I've come through it that a lot of things have been put into perspective. A lot of things have been addressed. A lot of things have been put to bed. Now, February the 12th, as I mentioned, was the biggest day of my life. When I sat here in the dark in my house contemplating suicide, I had 500 paracetamol sitting here. I'm not a drinker. Um, so that didn't even cross my mind. But to take 500 paracetamol, the first thing I thought was how the hell am I going to fit them all in my massive gob? That's not really difficult to answer. I've got a massive gob. I could have got the boxes in there as well. <laughs> and I'm making light heart of this right now because I need to. When I sat here and I looked at 500 paracetamol sitting on my table in the dark, no lights on, it was dark outside. All I could do was focus on taking, taking that medication, taking those paracetamol to end it all. I didn't think about my mother. I didn't think about, again, what very few friends I have. I didn't think of what would happen afterwards. All I could do was thinking of paracetamol. That's going to be the solution to my problems. Little did I know. I sat there and I just looked at them. I looked at them for about an hour and I started moving them closer to me, packet by packet as if countdown was going to take place. I then posted, out of sheer desperation, a photograph of myself on Facebook, and it was quite horrendous. Now, one second, I've got an aching arm here. <laughs> it was quite horrendous. It was an off picture, which I paced, posted Sorry, on Facebook. And my friend down south, who, who I don't speak to often, she knew something wasn't right. She knew the issues in the past, and she called the police. She lives down Cambridge, you know who you are. I won't put names in because that's disrespectful to her. Um, she called the police and as I moved these paracetamol closer to me, there was one hell of a kicking on my front door. Two policemen, two paramedics, and they wanted to know if I was okay, that they'd have a, a call. And I said that I was, I wasn't gonna let them in. And within seconds of saying that, I actually said I wasn't. And I. 
I came in and I told them what I was contemplating and I told them how I felt. I told them exactly what was going on, um, that I was scared for my own well-being, that I was scared for other people's well-being based on what I was about to do. Now, 30 seconds later, a minute later, I would have took all of those paracetamol. Or would I? I, I don't know. Um, I was so close to doing it, and if it wasn't for the kicking on my front door. So at this point, I've got two coppers and two paramedics. Um, four men in uniform is a gay man's dream. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. Trust me, that was the last thing on my mind. So they came in, blue lights flashing outside. Some people think it'd been a drama. Let's all go and have a look. There was no drama. There was an, a serious incident. And it was my serious incident. Trust me, it wasn't an Oscar winning performance. It was embarrassing. It was a broken man who everything in his past had just got too much where I thought I was indestructible. I thought I could do anything I wanted when really I was about to kill myself because I thought that I was worthless. I thought that I couldn't do anything right, let alone get this right. So there's four uniforms sitting in my front room. Am I okay? What hell do I need? And I'm just talking about shit. I'm just rambling on about crap, a lot of negative stuff. And they said, do I need to go with them? Do I need to go to the hospital? And I said, I, I don't know what I need. So I said, I just want to sit here. I want to sit here in silence and I just need to think. And all I could think of, what if, what if, what if? So at this point, I've got four uniforms sitting in my house and the respect of that wish was just to sit and listen for about 20 minutes. At this point, the two policemen then asked if it was okay and they left. The two paramedics said that they would stay a bit longer just to, to be sure. Um, and for the first time in my entire life, and I can honestly say this, I was glad they were there. I was because I attempted the most selfless but also selfish act ever because the world was sitting on my shoulders. Now, the policemen had gone, the paramedics, um, they were about to leave. And I'd said to them, apologise, I'm sorry for what I've, I've gone and done. He didn't answer, he just looked and he just gave me a look of reassurance. And he said that it can happen to anybody and that's what they're here for. It was a long night. A very long night they went the phones ringing off the hook messages voicemails not only from as i've mentioned the very few friends i have but from my mother from my friend down south um nobody knew what was on my shoulders even though people knew i was different i was acting different in the, the six seven eight months to the build-up nobody knew the full extent because i never told anybody I never told him about the bullying. I never told him about the abuse. I never told anybody about the issues that I'd had, whether it was my dad dying or I, I don't know. I just, I'd never told anybody. When the men had left, it was literally just me in silence. And I just sat there for most of the rest of the night. I just sat there and I couldn't believe what I had attempted to do there was an overwhelming sense of release that I had started 
the ball rolling that I knew that I couldn't carry on, that I knew that something had to give, that I knew that I was a broken man, and I was. And as much as it pains me to say it, I was vulnerable, scared. I was lost, I was free falling, but to have four complete strangers in my house doing their job, make sure that I was okay. And that's what this was about because I've always put other people first. I've never ever put myself first, I just haven't. And I thought by admitting there are issues and I've always thought I was mentally ill. I'm not mentally ill as I've said. Um, I thought that, that was weakness that you would be locked away, that you would be put on medication or whatever the situation would have been. But it highlighted a lot of things that night. So that following morning, I went to work. Um, I said to my boss something wasn't right and I needed some time out. He then saw fit to very much point out that I couldn't just take time out for whatever reason, that I had a job to do. And then I blurted out that I attempted suicide last night. And the look on his face pretty much said everything, to be honest. But he was young, he was inexperienced, and he was more interested, so I thought, in getting the job done, when actually he didn't know how to deal with the situation. And I certainly didn't know how to deal with the situation. Um, I then walked out my job. I then drove to the nearest hospital, which was not far from where I worked back then. And I walked into A&E and I said to the lady, what I'd gone and done, can someone just help me please? Because I wasn't right. And I just sat there in complete silence and people came, make sure I was okay. You go into the little room and I just sat there bawling my eyes. I was a grown man because I just wanted someone to help me and I didn't care at what cost. Um, I was there a good few hours. They then give me crisis information, then they give me numbers, and I went home. And that's where the ticking time bomb was put on hold because I finally realised that I was worth something. I was. Now, the journey from there on to where I am now has not been easy. Um, I've had counselling. I've been to my doctor. A lot of good stuff's happened since then. Um, I have been discharged from the hospital which is an amazing feeling and I've done that pretty much on my own. So I thought when actually people around me have supported, they've helped me and they understand, I understand more so now. To be discharged isn't the end of the journey. The journey gets real because you've got no one to fall back on, so you think. I talk to my friends a lot more. I talk to family, I talk to my mother. I would talk to my dad, but he's not here, um, but he would fully understand what I'm going through, I think. When it comes to doing these videos, as I've said, I do it for me. And if it helps somebody, great. If it doesn't, I can't do anything about that. Some points have, have came out that anyone in this position, anyone who is attempted or contemplating, it's not worth it. Because the greater good will always overtake. Because regardless of what situation you're in, regardless, you're worth something to somebody. And it takes a big man, it takes a very strong man. And am I that man? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. It takes a strong person, man or not, to ask for help. 
and looking back now it's the best thing the best thing that i've done because i like to live my life i like waking up in the morning where i have a goal i like having a purpose i'm looking forward to meeting new people i'm looking forward to dating i'm looking forward to meeting someone it may not happen today it may not happen at all but the good stuff is now working because i've addressed the negative stuff i can't change anything from the past i can't counseling has helped friends have helped talking to myself on these videos like some idiot has helped and i do it for me i do it in some ways i'm lonely but when i do these videos i don't play it back i just record it and get on the internet and leave it at that people will always ask why do you do it why did you attempt I don't actually know the reasons why. I don't know why. I did it because I was in the darkest place, so dark in fact you can't see where you are, free falling, where you just want a quick fix, the easy way out. But what you leave behind, who you leave behind, how you go about doing it, it's not even worth considering because now that I've come through it, I can't imagine what it would have done to my mother. The greatest woman that I've ever known she is the strongest, most respectful human being. She just happens to be my mum. She doesn't watch these. She doesn't need to watch these. She, she's well aware. Some things you don't want your mother to see. And this is it. She'll probably spend more chance with a sex tape than she would watching these, to be honest. Um, but if you do ever see this, if you do, thank you for everything. Thank you for being my mum. Thank you for listening. Thank you for just being there and just thank you for the fantastic job that you and dad did bringing me up even to where I am now. I ring her every day. I talk to her every day. Just thank you for everything and to the friends that I do have. Thank you for being you. Thank you for seeing something in me. And I sometimes wonder what it is. But thank you for remembering and reminding me why we are friends in the first place. But just to cap this off, and I've said this a thousand times, whoever's in this position, life does get better. It does. I thought that it couldn't get any worse, but what pulled me down has also pushed me up. And I will say this, and I always do say this, I'm Mark Mosley, 50-year-old single gay man, and I'm worth something. I would flick my hair right now, but I ain't got none. But you do. But thank you for all the support. Thank you for the questions and the answers. Thank you to everybody out there for just being there. Because without your support, your help, I don't know where I would be.